You're listening to Comedy Central. Like many places around the world, Australia has an annual fire season. But thanks to climate change, this year it's gone from being a season to a never-ending nightmare. Halfway across the world, a catastrophic situation is playing out in Australia, where massive wildfires are forcing thousands of people from their homes. We knew the wildfires in California were huge in 2018. And last year, the fires in the Amazon were even bigger. But since September, the fires here in Australia have already burned more than three times both those events combined. Firefighters facing a relentless battle. Skies thick with smoke and glaring orange. The fires generating so much heat, authorities say they're creating their own weather system, including several fire tornadoes. Holy shit, fire tornadoes? You know climate change has gotten bad when we're getting disaster mashups. Like, you realize if we don't do something about climate change, this could become the norm, like super disasters, and like tsunami volcanoes, or blizzard earthquakes, and the most disastrous combination of all, the Emoji Cats movie. <laughs> and these fires, these wildfires have been catastrophic on many fronts. They caused dozens of deaths, they've destroyed thousands of homes, and they have been especially devastating to Australian wildlife. Firefighters are racing to save the wildlife amid those wildfires still raging. The staggering toll we've been reporting on here, now an estimated billion animals lost. Experts say 80% of Australia's wildlife can only be found on this continent, many are now threatened. And as temperatures soared, koalas face dehydration. This firefighter lent a helping hand, and this cyclist gave water to a koala who just couldn't drink enough. Oh man, that is just heartbreaking. And not just because so many animals are being wiped out, but because Australia has the coolest animals you can't find anywhere else. Like, no one else has animals with a built-in fanny pack, huh? <laughs> Which other country has an animal that looks like a beaver banger duck? <laughs> and of course, Australia is home to the rarest species of all, the Hemsworth brother. We need them. <laughs> we need them. I also have to say, it's heartwarming to see people, you know, coming to the rescue of animals. Uh, quick heads up, though, and this is completely true, the koala population is riddled with chlamydia. So I'm just saying you may want to scrub that water bottle before you, you know, have sex with it. Uh, yeah, you don't want to get your own personal bushfire. Now, <laughs> Australians... Australians aren't just hurt and scared because of these fires right now. There's also a lot of anger in the country. And a lot of it is aimed at the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison who many Australians feel hasn't handled this situation like a leader should. This nationwide crisis started back in September. The Prime Minister continues to face backlash over the response. Morrison has been heavily criticized for insisting that the responsibility belonged to state rather than federal government and for vacationing in Hawaii during the fires. I get it that people would have been upset to know that I was holidaying with my family uh, while their families were under great stress. Scott Morrison set out for a prime ministerial moment on the fire's front lines. Instead, rejection, a firefighter refusing the prime minister's handshake. Other residents heckled the prime minister. Hey, come back! You're not welcome! Until he drove away. You from the media, tell the prime minister to go and get from Nelligan. We really enjoy doing this Wow. That is an angry Australian man. And usually it's hard to tell when Australians are angry, mostly because their accent always sounds upbeat. 
And I was just like, hey, mate, I'm going to stuff a bloody dingo up your ass. And you're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> so Australians are angry at the prime minister because he was on vacation during a crisis and he didn't want volunteer firefighters to get paid even though they're risking their lives. And while Australians are accusing their prime minister of not stepping up, the rest of the world, luckily, is trying to help in a major way. Apocalyptic destruction and a global reaction. The largest Facebook campaign ever has raised more than 30 million U.S. dollars for firefighters. Music star Lizzo took a break from her tour in Australia to help pack meals for fire victims. On Monday, a crew of 20 veteran firefighters from California who fought some of the state's most devastating wildfires suited up and shipped out to Melbourne. Kaylin Ward, she's a model and she's now known as the naked philanthropist. The 20-year-old was offering to send nude photos to people who made a donation to relief efforts. She posted on Twitter that if they made a donation and they sent her proof, she would send back a nude photo of herself. She says the idea has helped raise $1 million in donations. Wow. <laughs> this woman raised $1 million in donations with nude photos. Really shows you we can solve all the world's problems <laughs> if we can just harness the power of horniness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine if people got a nude picture every time they recycled properly. People would get very diligent about sorting their trash. Be like, what the hell is wrong with you, man? Put the plastic in the blue bin. I wanna see that ass. <laughs> and now, despite everyone who's chipping in, Australia still needs all the help it can get. So please, if you can, go to the websites on the screen and donate whatever it is. You can donate money, you can donate time, you can adopt a Hemsworth, every little bit helps. <laughs> But the big thing we've got to remember is that unless the world leaders take climate change really seriously, situations like this are just gonna keep happening. And if you don't know, now you know. The British royal family. They're like the Kardashians with an occasional beheading. <laughs> now, the royal family has had plenty scandals in their time, but right now, they're going through an unprecedented crisis. Last week, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced that they're no longer going to be on the family phone plan anymore. And so today, <laughs> the queen called everyone together for an emergency royal summit. We move now, we just mm -hmm. mentioned a couple seconds ago, the latest drama surrounding the royals. The queen, as we speak, holding a crisis summit with her family in the wake of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's stunning decision to step back from their role. Harry and his dad, Charles, and brother William were there. And Meghan Markle reportedly called in from Canada. Yes, the queen summoned everyone to a private meeting at her royal country house. And everyone attended except Meghan Markle, who conference called in. And I'll be honest, I don't blame Meghan for not going because nothing good happens when white people invite you to the countryside, <laughs> We all know. We've all seen it. We've all seen Get Out. We know how this shit ends. <laughs> and by the way, how gangster is it that the queen is 93 years old and still driving herself, huh? <laughs> That is so dope, 93 years old. She's in a Range Rover like she's in a hip hop video from the 90s. <laughs> like you could throw some biggie under that clip and it wouldn't look out of place. <laughs> anyway, the big question everyone's asking right now is, why? <laughs> Why would Harry and Meghan want out of a life that so many people dream of having? 
I mean, think about it. We kiss frogs to try and become royalty, huh? The only thing I've ever gotten is frog herpes. But for Harry and Meghan in particular, the reality of being a royal couple has been far from a fairy tale. Just a few months into their relationship, British tabloids descended on them with racially charged headlines and commentary, like this one from the Daily Mail that read, Harry's girl is almost straight out of Compton. A British DJ has been fired for a controversial tweet about the royal baby. The BBC's Danny Baker posted a photo showing a couple holding hands with a chimpanzee, and the caption read, Royal baby leaves hospital. The wife of one of the Queen's cousins, Princess Michael of Kent, wore what's called a blackamoor brooch to the Queen's annual Christmas lunch with Harry and Meghan in attendance. The jewelry is widely viewed as racist for its depiction of black people. Wow. Wearing a blackamoor brooch to meet Meghan's, like, family? You're meeting Meghan Markle, you're meeting everyone else? That is next level. Like, I wonder if this woman has a cabinet full of racist brooches for different occasions. (laughs) Like, who even has that? Is she just like, Jeeves, I'm off to Korea. Fetch me my necklace of a dog in a frying pan, please. (laughs) We're going all the way. (laughs) But this shows you, this shows you some of what Meghan was up against, right? To her critics, you've got to understand, Meghan was everything people didn't want in the royal family. She's black, she's from the middle class, she's a divorcee, and worst of all, she said the American version of The Office is way better. And the biggest, the biggest culprit of the Megan criticism has been the British tabloid press. I mean, just look at a few of these stories. It went viral this weekend, like how they covered Megan in comparison to Kate Middleton, right? Direct, direct stories. When Kate was pregnant, the Daily Mail said, pregnant Kate tenderly cradles her baby bump. But when Megan did the exact same thing, the headline was, why can't Megan Markle keep her hands off her bump? Is it pride, vanity, acting? The press did this with everything. When Kate was pregnant, the Express said that she was eating avocados for her morning sickness cure. But then when Meghan ate them, suddenly Meghan's beloved avocados were linked to human rights abuse and drought. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, think about it. Prince Andrew's over here having sleepovers at Jeffrey Epstein's house, and the British press is like, Meghan Markle ordered guacamole. (laughs) So it's, it's, it's completely understandable that Harry and Meghan would want to step away from all of this hate in the UK. But now, everyone is wondering what they'll do to support themselves without any of that royal cash. Well, good news, Meghan's already got herself a job. Meghan, the Duchess of Sussex, is reportedly working on a deal to record a voiceover for Disney. Meghan and Prince Harry met with Disney CEO at the London premiere of The Lion King in July, where Harry appeared to discuss possible future projects. Okay, wait, Prince Harry really did that? (laughs) At a movie premiere last year, he asked the CEO of Disney to hook his wife up with voiceovers. And I mean, don't get me wrong, on the one hand, husband goals. (laughs) On the other hand, you gotta admit the monarchy has fallen off, right? (laughs) No, because back in the day, it used to be like, if you marry my daughter, I'll give you burgundy. And now it's like, my wife actually does a pretty good Timon. You should hear her. (laughs) Come on, baby, do the thing. Hakuna, Hakuna Matata, do the thing. And you know what's funny is, whenever you see the world's most powerful people talking, we always assume that they're talking about important things like climate change or world peace or the next Illuminati orgy, but it turns out (laughs) they're all just hustling. Yeah, it's like, oh, did I mention I started selling fudge? 
take uh, my card with my website on it. It's BillGatesFudge.com. <laughs> but that's where we are right now. Meghan and Harry are on their way to a new life. The press is losing one of their favorite targets, and the queen is so angry about it that she's about to go do some drive-bys. Harvey Weinstein has been found guilty of rape in the third degree and of committing a criminal sexual act in the first degree. The jury acquitted him on three other charges, including the most serious of predatory sexual assault. Throughout the whole process, he kept saying, I didn't do this, I didn't do this. But of course, now he faces five to 25 years in prison, at least with more possibly coming uh, with additional charges, new charges uh, out in Los Angeles. Yes, people, it's official. Harvey Weinstein is going to prison. Which is crazy, because he really looks like he's been in prison for 25 years. <laughs> Seriously. Weinstein is not gonna do well in prison, right? Partly because other prisoners already don't like sex offenders, but they really don't like some of Harvey Weinstein movies, yeah. They're gonna come up to him in the prison yard like, I wasted $9 on Mansfield Park. That shit was a disgrace to Jane Austen. You know what would be funny? is if they lock up Weinstein in the same cell as Bill Cosby, yeah? Because then I can tell you then, no one is falling asleep in that cell. You go to sleep. No, you go to sleep. No, you go to sleep. No, you go to sleep. No. Tiger King is the new Netflix series that is somehow even more viral than COVID-19. And if you haven't watched the show, I'm telling you now, you are wasting your life. Seriously, as soon as you're done with this, as soon as you're done watching The Daily Show, go and watch Tiger King. You will thank me tomorrow. It's the most fascinating show you've ever seen. It exposes the horrible world of exotic animal breeding in America, specifically like tigers and lions. And also, it answers the question, what would happen if meth smoked itself? And let me tell you something, after binging all seven episodes this weekend, I've realized a couple of things. One, this is what happens when white people have no black friends. And two, Joe Exotic is not only one of the weirdest people you will ever meet in your life, he could also be president of the United States. I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I can hear you. How can you say that president? <laughs> but hear me out, hear me out. This man has all of the character traits of a commander in chief. Everything. Like, for instance, one thing you notice about Joe Exotic is that he makes everything about him. It's all about me which apparently is very presidential. In his news conference yesterday, the president discussed a story in the New York Times that says his coronavirus task force briefings get high TV ratings. Even they said that the ratings are like Monday night football ratings and that these are like bachelor finale. So, being obsessed with yourself, very presidential. But also, if you watched Tiger King, you would know that Joe Exotic is the most disorganized person you will ever meet. And when it comes to coronavirus, Trump is exactly the same. On Sunday, President Trump again resisted invoking the Defense Production Act, wartime authority to mobilize industries. Call a person over in Venezuela, ask him how did nationalization of their businesses work out? Not too well. After days of uncertainty, the president has now actually invoked 
what's called the Defense Production Act. President Trump says that he is now considering federally enforced quarantines for hotspots like New York and other states. President Trump tweeting overnight that a federally enforced quarantine of the region will not be necessary. President Trump wants to reopen the country by Easter Sunday. President Trump now calling for more social distancing than ever, firmly backing away from his earlier suggestion that parts of the country could reopen by Easter. God damn, man. Trump is flip-flopping so much, if the Olympics weren't canceled, he'd be competing against Simone Biles. Because what was that? Here's another reason I think Joe Exotic has what it takes to be the president of the United States. He sees conspiracies everywhere. With medical equipment becoming scarce at many hospitals, President Trump is now accusing hospitals of hoarding ventilators. I don't believe you need 40,000 or 30,000 ventilators. You know, you go into major hospitals sometimes, they'll have two ventilators. And now, all of a sudden, they're saying, can we order 30,000 ventilators? Yeah. Trump has a good point. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, hospitals need way more ventilators than usual. What's that about, huh? It's the same way I've noticed that sometimes People on the streets have a lot of umbrellas, and then sometimes nobody has an umbrella. Something isn't adding up here. Anyway, Joe Exotic. Why is he the man for the job? He's self-absorbed, he's disorganized, he's obsessed with conspiracies, but maybe the most presidential thing about Joe Exotic is that he loves portraying himself as an expert in his field, when the truth is he has no idea what he's talking about. He's just winging it which, uh, again, should feel very familiar. The young people are really, this is an incredible phenomenon, but they are attacked, successfully attacked, to a much lesser extent by this pandemic, by this uh, disease, um, this uh, whatever they want to call it. You can call it a germ, you can call it a flu, you can call it a virus, you, know, you can call it many different names. I'm not sure anybody even knows what it is. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? What, what the hell was that? You can call it a joke, you can call... It, it sounded like Trump was introducing somebody who won a Lifetime Achievement Award. Some call him a germ. Some call him a virus. I just call him my good friend. Ladies and gentlemen, Corona. Come on up, Corona. What a great guy. So look, I know Joe Exotic is in prison right now, but if he somehow manages to get out, I'm hoping that he becomes the president of the United States. Because yes, yes, he might be just as crazy as Trump, but at least if he's in the White House, we're gonna see tigers. With yet another wildfire breaking out in California, a record-setting year continues to get even worse for the West Coast. And the question many people are asking is, why? Why have wildfires gotten so out of control? Well. Let's find out why in another installment of If You Don't Know, Now You Know. So, why have wildfires been so bad in recent years? Well, if you immediately said, duh, climate change, well, then okay, you're mostly right. It's a disastrous new normal. Catastrophic fires, once contained to one season, now a harrowing year-round battle. We gotta go. A major factor, 
climate change. In the last 40 years, fall temperatures in California have increased about two degrees, while precipitation has dropped about 30%. Longer dry seasons and extreme events like heat waves that synchronize the risk of fire across enormous landscapes. Climate change is increasing the area burned by the average wildfire, more than doubling it since the 1980s. Since 1930, five of the biggest fires so far out of the top 10 have been this year. California is America fast forward. In other words, a postcard from the future. Oh man, are you serious? California is basically a postcard from the future? That means the future is also on fire? I mean, it also means that the post office is still functioning in the future, so I guess, woo, we did it. And that really is mind blowing. Five of the biggest fires have been this year? That's insane. Although this is 2020, so I'm kind of shocked that all of the biggest fires haven't been from this year. Wildfires might be here to stay, which is awful for humans, but especially bad for trees because they can't move. Humans can just run away from a wildfire, but trees, they're just stuck there. Can you imagine how terrifying that must be for them? Ah! 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 Now, there are a number of ways that climate change makes wildfires bigger and more frequent. For instance, not only does drier wood and leaves make better fuel for fires, but hot weather is also associated with increasing lightning strikes that ignite them. In fact, even small things about climate change can have a huge ripple effect that leads to fires. And I mean, really small things. Millions of drought-stressed trees in California forests were low on sap, which is their natural defense against the bark beetle. These are these little tiny bugs about the size of a grain of rice. Bark beetle infestation is linked to global warming. As the weather gets warmer, they burrow into the bark of pine trees. They kill the pine trees. The pine trees then essentially become sticks of kindling ready to burn. The beetles took down more than 160 million trees, and that's where some of the largest fires are burning today. Yeah, believe it or not, people, the spread of the tiny bark beetle is yet another way that climate change is making wildfires worse. It's also a great reminder that even though climate change is really bad for us humans, for some other creatures, it's the best thing that ever happened. It's like how the Trump administration has been a disaster for most people, but great for various reptiles. And I gotta be honest, I never thought the apocalypse would be caused by such a lame villain. I mean, really guys, beetles are gonna be the reason everything's on fire? Come on, man. The last season of Game of Thrones was bad enough when Daenerys was burning everything down with dragons. Now imagine if she had beetles instead. That shit would make the brand storyline seem exciting. Ugh. Let's get back to the kid who's like a bird or something. I don't watch these beetles. So yes, we have to address climate change. But the truth is, climate change isn't the only reason that these fires have been getting worse. There's also at least a century of government stupidity. Controlled fire or prescribed fire is the method of burning certain land to reduce wildfire hazards. This method was developed by Native Americans thousands of years ago. These low-intensity fires called cultural burnings that built much of California's forests. Without controlled burns, forests would have become overgrown and unmanageable. Overgrown forests create a lot of fuel in the form of dry or dead plants. As European colonization grew in California, native tribes were banned from engaging in cultural burning. And over time, state and federal authorities focused on quickly extinguishing any wildfires. For example, the U.S. Forest Service infamous 10 a.m. policy said that any fires that occurred must be put out by 10 a.m. the next day. 
This limit on fires did little to reduce the fuel that was growing on the forest floor. And even with these policies, California still has fuel loads waiting to be burned from centuries ago, making prescribed burning far more tedious and expensive than previously thought. Yeah, you heard that right. One thing that would help out a lot is if California had been doing more controlled burns, which is basically when you burn a little to prevent a lot from burning later. It's the same way you meet your college friend for coffee so that you don't have to have a three-hour dinner with them. And you know, you have to admit, it's pretty unbelievable that California is now doing what they outlawed the native people from doing. I guess it's kind of hard though to kick somebody off their land and take their advice at the same time. This is my property now, you savage! Oh, also before you go, do you have any landscaping tips, like any like mulching techniques or things that I have to learn? Now, obviously it's bad enough that wildfires are burning millions and millions of trees. But what makes it an especially big problem for people is that we've been giving the fires a lot more of our stuff to burn. Since 1990, 60% of all the homes in the United States have been built in the wildland urban interface. We've got houses in places we didn't used to have houses, and that puts people and, and property at risk. As more houses are built near wildlands, more of them burn. 50 years ago, wildfires destroyed a few hundred structures per year across the United States. Now it's more than 3,000. In California alone, more than 6 million houses are in wild areas. Because urban housing is so expensive, instead of avoiding these high-risk zones, Californians continue to build in a tinderbox of grass and trees boxed by Windy Canyon. Instead of Smoky Bear in the middle of the woods, we need a Smoky Bear in the middle of suburbia. Uh-uh. You do yourself a favor, Smoky Bear, and you stay out of the suburbs. We don't want Karen calling the cops on you. Hello, 911. There's a bear in my neighborhood, and he's, um, he's brown. But yes, one big problem is that more and more people are building homes in the middle of the forest. And let's place the blame where it belongs here, with the Keebler Elves. Yeah, these guys made living in the forest look so cool that everyone started doing it. You get to be in a tree making cookies all day, sounds great, but guess what? Those cookies are covered with beetles. And if we're honest here, guys, one of the bigger issues is human arrogance. We just think we can build wherever we go. You know, wherever we build a house, that's our land now. It's the same way people in Florida are always surprised when alligators show up. Oh, there's an alligator in my backyard. No, there's a person in that alligator's house. But the good news is we can fix these problems. Yeah, believe it or not, the wildfires don't have to happen the way they have been. We can stop them if we take action to reduce climate change. We can stop them if we maintain the forests, and we can stop them if we build in environmentally sensitive ways. And as for those beetles, you leave them to me. John Lewis, the civil rights icon who died Friday at the age of 80. All weekend, people were remembering just how extraordinary this man's life was. Civil rights icon and American hero John Lewis passing away at the age of 80. As a college student, he helped lead the fight against racial inequality by participating in multiple protests. In 1963, he was just 23, the youngest speaker at the March on Washington, right alongside Martin Luther King Jr. My friend, let us not forget that we are involved in a serious social revolution. 
two years later, he would lead peaceful protesters across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, fighting for the right to vote. They were met with brutal force by state troopers, Lewis bloodied and with a fractured skull. He would continue his fight as a U.S. representative known as the conscience of Congress. Hundreds gathering overnight for a candlelight vigil there in Atlanta. An outpouring of tributes for a legend, including from Barack Obama, who credited Lewis with helping to make his presidency possible, later awarding him the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2011, and now sharing these words. Not many of us get to live to see our own legacy play out in such a meaningful, remarkable way. John Lewis did. Wow, you know you have lived quite a life when you get heartfelt tributes like that from all across the globe. And they really did come in from everywhere, even from Republican colleagues that said, hey, this guy was an amazing human being who fought for what he believed in. Although I will say there were a few that were just a little bit off key. For instance, Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader and what mushrooms would look like if they had faces. He sent out a long statement praising Lewis's sacrifices, but at the same time, He's also been blocking the effort Lewis led to fully restore the Voting Rights Act. So it's a lot like if the Joker wrote a eulogy for Batman. Some people tried to destroy the city he loved or tried to poison him with laughing gas. But I always miss Batsy. <laughs> what? You were the one doing that. I mean, to be fair though, Mitch McConnell always sends a sweet message when a black colleague dies because it's one less person he has to keep from voting. But probably the most awkward tribute to John Lewis came from Marco Rubio, Republican senator and guy who could get away with playing Little League. On Saturday, Rubio tweeted a tribute to John Lewis, but with a photo of himself standing with a different deceased black congressman, Elijah Cummings. And I'm sorry, man, but that's just so embarrassing. I mean, this is the racial version of calling out your ex's name in bed. But I guess now I finally understand why Rubio sent me an edible arrangement on Don Lemon's birthday. I mean, it didn't make sense, but I ate that shit. And it wasn't just Rubio. Two Republican senators confused John Lewis with Elijah Cummings, which is positively insane because they worked with the man for years. And this probably explains why Republicans only have one black guy in Congress at a time. Less chance for confusion, all right? You're the House guy and you're the Senate one. All right, this works. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death has sparked a nationwide debate over how and when to replace her. But for this episode, we wanted to spend some time talking about just how irreplaceable she was. Because you see, RBG wasn't just another Supreme Court justice. She was an American icon. Even though she served on the Supreme Court that does most of its work behind closed doors, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, through her intellect, her force of personality, and her determination, somehow became this pop culture favorite. She would cross generations, earning the nickname the notorious RBG. There were books, clothing, tattoos, even a species of praying mantis in her honor. Every time Justice Ginsburg wrote a dissent, the internet would explode. People ask me, don't you feel uncomfortable being with a name like the notorious B.I.G. <laughs> why should I feel uncomfortable? We have a lot in common. Yeah, that's right. B.I.G. and R.B.G. did have a lot in common. They're both from Brooklyn. They were both into fancy neckwear. And they both got tired of Diddy trying to steal their spotlights. Not to mention, we all remember R.B.G.'s campaign finance opinion in Citizens United. More money, more problems. So yes, 
RBG gained more cultural fame than any Supreme Court justice before her, and deservedly so. Because even from the beginning of her life, RBG didn't let societal expectations about women hold her back. Ruth Bader Ginsburg grew up in Brooklyn in a lower middle class family. When she was in high school, she was a twirler, you know, a cheerleader with a baton. She earned a scholarship to Cornell where she met a jovial sophomore who became the love of her life. He was the first boy I ever knew who cared that I had a brain. A year after Marty enrolled at Harvard Law School, Ruth followed, one of only nine women in a class of more than 550, with a new baby girl in tow. During their time in law school, Marty became very sick. He had cancer. And she basically took all the notes for him and made it possible for him to graduate on time while, in fact, raising their baby and being a law student herself. Ginsburg graduated first in her class. Tied for first. We'll call that first. But she didn't get a single offer from a New York law firm. I had three strikes against me. One, I was Jewish. Two, I was a woman, but the killer was I was the mother of a four-year-old child. Damn. She was a brilliant student at the top of her class, but couldn't get a single job? It's like she was a reverse Jared Kushner. I mean, to turn down a brilliant lawyer just because she's a mom, like, what did those guys think was gonna happen? We can't hire her. She's gonna force us to finish our asparagus. But those law firms that didn't hire RBG lived to regret it because she ended up being such an incredible lawyer that she started making history in the Supreme Court long before she got on the Supreme Court. Ruth became a law professor at Rutgers, working towards women's rights. In the 1970s, she founded the ACLU's Women's Rights Project. She wanted to build the idea of women's equality step by step, to, uh, to use each case to move things forward. Between 1973 and 1978, Ginsburg argued six gender discrimination cases before the Supreme Court's all-male bench. Case after case, she slowly broke down barriers of gender discrimination that when you look at them today, you almost laugh at them. We couldn't have our own credit cards, that we couldn't get a mortgage without a man signing, that we couldn't buy a car. There were hundreds, maybe even thousands of state, local, and federal laws that by law barred women from jobs, even from jury service. That's right, people. Before Ruth Bader Ginsburg came along, there were laws preventing women from getting a mortgage, serving on a jury, or even getting their own credit cards, which is mind-boggling. To think this country, this country, ever let misogyny get in the way of something as American as getting people into debt. I mean, women couldn't even serve on a jury? That's why the movie was called 12 Angry Men and not six angry men and six women who'd had enough of their complaining. So after a legal career that changed the lives of literally every woman in America, RBG was nominated to the Supreme Court by President Clinton in 1993. And she used that seat to advocate for the equality of all people, whether her fellow justices agreed with her or not. As a justice, Ginsburg consistently voted in favor of abortion access and civil rights, perhaps her best-known work on the court, writing the 1996 landmark decision to strike down the Virginia Military Institute's ban on admitting women. Ginsburg's opinions helped solidify the constitutional protections she'd fought so hard to establish decades earlier. But in her later years, as the court moved to the right, Ginsburg grew bolder in her dissents. Ginsburg wrote a lengthy, scathing dissent. She was pretty candid in her displeasure with the court's decision. Who 
Hubris is a fit word for today's demolition of the Voting Rights Act. And in a landmark case on employment discrimination in 2007, Ginsburg wrote a powerful dissent that prompted Congress to amend the laws. See? That right there, that's how you know RBG was the GOAT. Even when she was in the minority, they used her dissent to change the law. You understand how epic that is? That's like writing a Yelp review so scathing and eloquent that they let you choose what's on the next day's menu. I mean, she won even when she lost. Who else can say that? Well, besides me, who broke into John Oliver's apartment last night and stole his Emmy. (laughs) We should actually probably cut that from the show. I don't want him to know. But the thing I find most impressive about RBG is not just what she accomplished with her work, but just how dedicated she was to doing it, even when it would have been easier to call it quits. This woman was determined to do the job that she loved. She loved being a Supreme Court justice. She loved the law. She's famously a workaholic. How much sleep do you get? I can get by in two, not more than four hours. Her grit helped keep her on the bench through colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, and the death of her beloved partner. Justice Ginsburg, even though her husband died yesterday after a battle with cancer, was on the bench. She used to schedule her chemotherapy sessions on Fridays so that she would have the weekend to recover. And during that time, she did not miss a single day on the bench. Instead of concentrating on my aches and pains, I'd concentrate on, on the court's work. Okay, people, that is just awe-inspiring. Throughout multiple battles with cancer, she never stopped working. I mean, one time I missed work for two weeks because my leg fell asleep on the toilet. I mean, I had no choice. I couldn't get up. All I could do was keep scrolling Instagram and hope somebody found me. Have you ever tried that shit? You texting on thing and then the legs go, you can't stay because like your leg can break, I think. It's like a thing I read if you, if you stand on the leg. So look, I know that with RBG's passing, a lot of people right now feel hopeless. They feel defeated and they feel like everything is lost. But if there's one thing that RBG's life shows us, it's that change isn't easy. But if you put in the time, the effort and the dedication, you can see results. She never gave up and she never stopped fighting. If anyone lived the biggie line, stay far from timid, only make moves when your heart's in it and live the phrase, sky's the limit, it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And that's why they called her the notorious RBG. Well, that and she might have killed Tupac. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.